What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because there's never been a better time to build an online business on a topic you care about. Case in point, Garrett Kruger and Sabrina Ricci. This is the husband and wife team behind I Know Dino, which started as a side hustle and is now the world's number one dinosaur podcast. Yes, this is a real thing. Not bad for a couple non-paleontologists. In this episode, you're going to learn how Garrett and Sabrina grew their audience, the different ways they monetize their show, and how you may be able to borrow some of the same tactics in your business, even if you don't have a podcast. Notes and links to all the resources mentioned are at sidehustlenation.com slash dino, D-I-N-O. And if you are interested in starting a podcast of your own, make sure to download my podcast starter kit with resources on choosing the right software and equipment, my production process, marketing your show, and of course, all the different ways podcasts can make money. Once again, that's at sidehustlenation.com slash dino. This story starts with Garrett and Sabrina rediscovering their childhood love of dinosaurs, visiting natural history museums while they were dating, and then even having a dino-themed wedding. Ready? Let's do it. After the wedding, we didn't want to stop talking about dinosaurs, so we decided to start a podcast. We saw that there were paleontology podcasts out there, but not necessarily focused on dinosaurs. And we're in a golden age of dinosaur discovery. There's new discovery every week. Yeah. So I was looking for a podcast that covered all the new dinosaur discoveries because like Sabrina said, there's one pretty much every week. So I figured there must be a weekly dinosaur podcast that's covering all of these. And I couldn't find one anywhere. And then I was talking to Sabrina about it and we decided like, well, I guess we could do it. Yeah. <laughs> we got to l- learn some things, <laughs> but we could probably pull it off. There was definitely a learning curve. Yeah. It was great. We got to, we started right away interviewing paleontologists mm-hmm. and we found that people in the dinosaur community are really, they're, well, they're very passionate and enthusiastic about sharing their work. So they were happy to come on our show and answer all our questions. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. That was the beginning thesis. Well, there's all of this news that's coming out that's interesting to us and interesting to other people who are into dinosaurs. There's not a great podcast source for this information. So I said, well, I guess we we could do that. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. And by virtue of being the only people in town doing that, you're able to call up these paleontologists and say, can you speak to you know, XYZ new discovery? Sort of. There are still other really great paleontology podcasts out there, but they don't focus necessarily just on dinosaurs. Yeah, I think the main reason that paleontologists were willing to talk to us is just because paleontologists in general really like talking about their work. It's yeah. a pretty, it's actually a really competitive field. It's sort of like, I don't know, not quite as bad as, say, acting or music or something where there's tons of people interested in it and they're willing to do it for free. But it's, close where I think something like only two out of every hundred people or maybe something like that end up getting a job specifically in like the field of paleontology, either teaching it or like digging up dinosaurs or working in a museum. Most of them end up going into either like geology, exploring for architectural projects, you know, where you need to test the soil and things like that, or for oil and gas exploration and things like that. So you have to be very passionate about it and you need to be really good at it and have a lot of hustle in order to become one of these paleontologists that spends their life researching dinosaurs. So most of them, because they're so passionate about it, are very happy to just get out there and talk about their work with anybody who will have them. Makes it really fun to talk to them too. Mm -hmm. For these existing paleontology shows, 
Were there any hints or breadcrumbs of sponsorship money flowing in that direction? Or was there any sense from you guys early on, like, hey, you know, one day this could be a business? I'm just curious, like, or was it purely from the hobby standpoint? Purely from the hobby standpoint, I think. Yeah, we, I mean, we realized that because when we started the dinosaur map on our website in like 2012, when we created the website, or maybe 2011, yeah, it was like, at a time where some people were still making money on blogs. So we thought maybe this could be a side business. But it was also at the time where everyone was just switching basically all of their browsing to Facebook and other social media stuff. So we learned that we weren't going to make a big business, you know, income stream through posting articles about dinosaurs because we were doing some of that on there as well. And so we were kind of looking for another way to get out there. And Mm -hmm. we were hoping that it would work. But to answer your question about did the other podcasts have a bunch of sponsors, the answer is definitely no. There are basically two types of other dinosaur podcasts. There were ones that were purely basically academic, where it's people while they're going to grad school talking about their work and interviewing people and have absolutely no sponsors. They're probably just footing the $30 a month bill on Libsyn or whatever out of pocket. And then there's the people who basically either sell fossil replicas or have some other sort of dinosaur stuff, merchandise that they sell, toys or whatever. And they just created a podcast as sort of a way to advertise their existing stuff. Yep. So they weren't looking for other sponsors. That was at the time when we launched 2015. It's changed now. Yes. There's more podcasts out now. You see different varieties of formats and how people are approaching it, which is really cool because we have a lot of listeners who listen to all of the shows and they tell us they found us through these other shows or they found these other shows through us or, you know, it's, it's fun to collaborate. Also in 2015, that's when Jurassic World came out. So we timed the launch of our show a few months before the movie, kind of in hopes to get some traction. And it worked out because we ended up getting featured on Apple Podcasts. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was good timing on that. This is the one with with Chris Pratt and the, you know, he's riding the motorcycles with the, with the Raptors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. I was like, okay, I can picture this one. All right. Well, yeah, that was good timing. And then to kind of ride that wave, you know, a renewed interest in dinosaurs and pop culture. So, okay. Is anything else that you guys did early on to either advertise the show, gain initial traction, just, you know, try and get the word out? At the time, new and noteworthy was still a pretty big deal. I think it still helps, but maybe not as much in, in Apple Podcasts. So we made sure to record multiple episodes those first eight weeks, just get as much content out as possible. So uh, we're, we're releasing two a week for eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got as many interviews as we could ahead of time. We started, I, d- I don't remember which social media channels we chose first, but you know, picked a couple to start with to get the word out. Just kind of laying the foundations of everything. Yeah, we weren't doing any collaborations back then we also both were working full-time <laughs> at that point so it was a lot of work just to manage to release two episodes a week and not you know and still get some sleep <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's interesting to hear because you're like well you know we're going to start this you know mostly as a hobby but we're going to do it intentionally strategically with you know we're going to front load our release schedule so we have you know a lot of content out there for these first eight weeks. Hopefully we'll get featured with Apple. We're going to time it with the Jurassic World movie. So it's like, oh, you know, there was, it sounds like there was some more thought that went into it than maybe you're giving yourself credit for. <laughs> yeah, Sabrina always plans the, the stuff like that. 
She's the planner. I'm the not so planner. You're the one, one. you execute. You make sure everything goes out on time. I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how long before you had a sense of okay, there are there are actually people interested in this stuff aside from just us, and you start to see you know the little you know download chart on the podcast start to creep up a little bit. And I remember in my first, you know, 50 download days, like I, I, I believe I have gone outside my circle of influence now, which is <laughs> intimidating because you know, there's strangers listening now. And that's kind of scary. But do you, have, do you guys have that moment? We did do a little bit of research on to how many people were searching for things like dinosaur SEO wise and dinosaur podcast potentially. And so we expected there to be people that would find us through SEO pretty quickly because we sort of revamped our website for the SEO to be more about podcasting than the Dinosaur Museum map. So we were hoping that we would get a bunch of people right away. I don't think we were expecting too much in the first few weeks. But then once we were featured in Apple, there was a big spike. Yeah. And people, a, a good amount of them stuck around. I think we were getting roughly 50 downloads a day after like a week or two. Once we did get that first promotion in Apple Podcasts, that did make a huge difference because the spike went from basically maybe 50 downloads a day, according to those metrics, to like 3,000, although it was a spike, so it came back down most of the way. But it came down to, rather than coming all the way back down to 50, it came down into the low hundreds. And so that was pretty great. And I think at that point, we probably had a download in pretty much every state. There might have been a couple states missing. But that that's a good point, Sabrina. That was like, to me, was one of the most exciting things looking at the map view of where the downloads were coming from and seeing that it's like, oh, look at all these states. There's people listening in all we, these places. We definitely don't know somebody in all 50 states. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> was that Apple feature something that you guys proactively submitted for? That first one, No. The second one we did, because Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom came out in 2018. So we reached out again. We're like, hey, we think this worked out well and mm -hmm. um, submitted our marketing plan and everything. But the first time, I think they were looking, it, it was just good SEO on our part. They were looking for a dinosaur podcast to promote. Yeah, and there weren't a lot of other ones. And I think Sabrina's all that effort, because that new and noteworthy thing was completely Sabrina's idea. And I think that might have helped to get their attention a little bit in that. Yeah, I mean, the common podcast SEO strategy is in iTunes, like it's a very unsophisticated search engine compared to Google. It's like, do you have what you're talking about in the title of the show? Like, okay, we're talking about dinosaurs. Yes, that's in the title of the show. We're good to go. And it's hard to. I mean, it's it's easy to game the system, but lots of people getting kicked out and banned for manipulating the title by just like throwing Tim Ferriss and Dave Ramsey in the title of their show. And that's like, okay, sir, you're trying to play this uh, a little bit. But um, you know, on Google SEO, I searched Dinosaur Podcast. You guys have the number one and number two listings there. So you're, <laughs> you're dominating over actually like, you know, you can't miss it, you know, so they have a podcast <laughs> series, you know, where it says, I know Dino, then it's the website. And then, you know, there's the latest episodes embedded. And then there's the Apple podcast. So there's lots of uh, exposure there, but not a ton of search volume, at least according to my little sidebar tool, you know, 140 people searching a month, but you know, any place you can capture them, the merrier. So, so you're starting to pick up, you know, listeners nationwide, all around the world, are you able to gather feedback or is it does it still feel like you're talking into a vacuum here like what's the what's the sense of like are we gonna keep doing this thing we launched our patreon i think six to eight months in after yeah. launching the show and we got our first handful of patrons right away so that helped 
Yeah, that helped a lot. Even though, you know, it's not much money to begin with. It's like, wow, somebody is willing to pay us to talk about dinosaurs every week. Yeah. And we got (laughs) patrons like our family, several people from our family signed up, which was awesome. And it was really nice to get their support. But at the same time, it was almost more meaningful to get people we didn't know because it was like you were talking about with downloads when it's outside your circle of influence and your circle of friends. And it's people that like what you're making because they think the content itself has merit and don't just like you as a person, then that was very motivating. And I think once we had people paying us on Patreon, it quickly, because we were hosting on pretty cheap places, we quickly got enough money that it was covering our hosting costs. So that made us feel good. You know, we weren't losing money at that point. And then... Yes, that's, <laughs> that's always a good, a, good, yeah. uh, a good moment in traction, yeah. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster, and 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors, and what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Once we had the Patreon and it's like, okay, we're making content. People are paying us for it. I think from then on, I don't think we really considered stopping because it was basically like these people like it and they're paying for it. Well, then we started doing listener surveys once a year, and that helps us get the feedback. We can tweak the show based on what we're hearing, what people like, what could be improved. And also just it's kind of a it's a good boost because people often leave us some nice comments. You you get it, too, with the reviews on the podcast apps, too. It's really nice to read. <laughs> do you collect those surveys through an existing email list or do you shout it out on air? Hey, come take our annual survey. Curious how you get that done. It's mostly through shout out because we want people that are listening to the show. I think the first year I also posted it on 
I want to say like Reddit and our Twitter and all these places. And we got a decent number of responses. We might have even bribed people. <laughs> like we might have said, you know, done one of those sweepstake type things where it was like, if you take the survey, you know, one, one person will get a $20 thing or whatever, because we didn't have that many listeners back then. And we wanted to have enough data that would be useful. But what I realized was one of the questions on there was how often do you listen? And so I had a few options, you know, whether it was I listen this often or this often. And one of them was I never listen. And I had that one there just because I threw away all those answers because I don't care what people think about oh, our okay. show if they've okay. never listened to it. But once I had that filter, we still had maybe 50 or 100 responses that were people that had listened to the show. And then we could use that information to make changes because there were some things people really didn't like. What was an example of something that you cut as a result of the survey? The main problem, I think that was when we found out that our levels were really screwed up. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know because, you know, neither of us did like audio engineering or anything that there was a loudness standard for creating any sort of online content. So we had some episodes that were very quiet and people were saying, you know, I really like the show, but like I can barely hear, I turn it up all the way and then I can just barely hear what's happening. We also had some people say, I like to binge your episodes, but then it's jarring when one episode is so quiet and I've got the volume (laughs) turned up and then the next episode, it's so much louder. Yeah, that was an important one. We also, I don't remember if it came out on the first survey, if we fixed this beforehand, but our recording technique for interviews was really not great. It was basically using like the speakers of the computer into the microphone of the computer. It turned out to be the way it was working. So it sounded pretty garbled, about the same quality as if you held a microphone up to like the earpiece of a old school, t- old school telephone that only does that narrow frequency range. So gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I think it was mostly technical stuff in there- the beginning. I think they, oh, people also in the beginning kept saying they wanted more banter, that mm. it was a little too dry. So we would ask periodically. I think from then on, we asked in the survey, like, is it too dry? Is it too much banter? And then just last year, or maybe two years ago, was the first time people were like, it's about right. We're like, okay, we finally found <laughs> the right amount of banter to content ratio. I know it's always hard because you get surveys back. Oh, the show is too long. Oh, the show is too short. You know, Mm -hmm. I need more episodes. I need, I can't keep up with all this content. You're like, okay, but I like this, you know, only taking in the people who actually listen. That's an interesting, just strike out those rows of the survey data. Um, Are you doing anything to convert listeners into email subscribers or is, or is the, you know, Patreon, is that the main call to action? Curious, like, okay, this is my big beef with podcasting is the analytics are pretty awful and it's such an anonymous thing. Like, I mean, if you're, if you're tuning in right now, send me an email, nick at sideoscillation.com. Let me know you're listening. But other than that, it's like, it's so hard to, you know, I don't know, you you see the numbers on the chart, but it's, you know, sometimes like talking into a void. Mm. Mm -hmm. For, Our main call to action is always Patreon, just because we sort of built everything out of Patreon. I mean, we've had that Patreon for, what, seven years now? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) we Patreon keeps adding integrations, and we keep using them. So the biggest one we use now is the Discord integration. And then within the Discord, we can build other things out from there. So if you're in our Patreon, you automatically get added to the Discord server if you put a Discord user ID into the Patreon profile. And then from that, you can like request dinosaurs of the day. We have a dinosaur of the day segment and we got too many requests for a while. So we had to switch that over into Patreon only to sort of stem the hurricane of (laughs) incoming requests. 
And then we also do like watch parties using Discord. And we do um, when we're going to interview somebody, we'll say like, hey, we're going to interview this person. Does anybody have a question for that person? Because people know these paleontologists. And yeah, so there's a bunch of pieces that build off of Discord. And I just really like the Discord, too, because we can chat back and forth. And like you say, it gets rid of that void feeling Mm -hmm. because we'll do an episode and people will quickly be saying like, oh, I love that episode or this was a really interesting thing. Like, oh, there's also this piece that you didn't mention. Or did you know this thing also applies to that? And it's just I love that. We've recently started branching out a little bit like our call to action sometimes is to go to our website, Mm -hmm. either check out our show notes because that's where we have links to all the sources. and then also subscribe to our newsletter. Mm -hmm. And then once you're in our newsletter, we send you a few informational welcome emails, and then you start getting an email version of the show notes every week. And then uh, after some time, we ask like, hey, do you want to be a part of our Discord Mm -hmm. (laughs) that way? Yeah. Yeah. So there is the main, I would say the main people way people get to our newsletter is through the website. Because if you're on the website for, I don't remember what it is, 10, 20 seconds, there's a pop-up that says, hey, join our newsletter and you'll get this thing. And so a lot of people do. So the sort of funnel there is getting people to the website and mm-hmm. then to the newsletter. Yeah, we offer a free mini audiobook if you join. I was going to ask, okay, do you remember what this thing is? Like what the lead <laughs> magnet is? It has changed. We've tried different things and sometimes you get different we, stuff. Well, we figured we should keep it to something audio mm-hmm. because that made the most sense. And then we have written our own books, a few books, and turned them into audio books. We took a few pieces, some of them, so you can get a taste of what those books are like. Yeah. We also do for when I do the survey, I have a checkbox for like, do you want to be included on our newsletter? And then they can put in their email if they want to there. And we usually get a a good chunk of email subscribers there too. Okay, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, if you're historically I've driven survey responses only through email. I haven't mentioned them really on air. So but if you're if you're getting just listeners who you don't have contact information for yet, that's a, that's a really smart idea. You want to join our newsletter, check the box and we'll get that set up for you. Let's talk about the Patreon thing. So I'm on the uh, Patreon page now, Patreon, if you're not familiar, it's a platform to support creators that you like, usually on a monthly or annual subscription basis. It says patreon.com slash I know dino over 200 patrons right now, ranging from $4 a month to a hundred dollars a month for the Spinosaurus level here. <laughs> like, uh, they've got, you know, cute dinosaur names. Um, and so you set this up early on in the show and you started to mention it on air. People started to sign up. Just curious, you know, just I'll let you have open mic on Patreon, pros, cons, best practices, all that jazz. Yeah. So I think the biggest mistake we made when we first started it, maybe there's two big mistakes. One of them was pricing it too low. And the other thing was not offering much content, which I guess sort of go hand in hand. Since we weren't offering anything, we figured, okay, we'll just have a one and two dollar tier where people can just give us money and you know get nothing in return basically we get a thank you that was later (laughs) Um, we added then we added a five dollar tier where we thank them on the show but for the one and two dollar tier they really didn't get anything there wasn't a discord integration then or anything we might have added for one and two dollar tiers requesting a dinosaur of the day shortly after but they really didn't get much and what we realized and what we learned and what Patreon eventually told us too, because we were also on Patreon pretty early days. So they didn't have a whole bunch of best practices at the time was that 
usually doing a one dollar tier is pointless because if people will give you one dollar they'll usually give you three dollars at least so having a one or two dollar tier is not useful so in one of our surveys we said hey would you guys be okay if we deleted the one and two dollar tier everybody who's currently at it would stay at it but for new patrons the lowest tier would be four dollars and we would add, I think at that time is when we added the Discord. So it was going to be like, in order to get Discord, you have to go to $4. Anytime we made changes, though, we made sure everyone knew ahead of time. Yes. And we always, we usually do it in the survey and then make the change at the beginning of the year. And that way, you know, if people are upset about it, we can say, yeah, I'm sorry that you're upset about it. But 90% of people said that they were okay with this. And we kind of need to raise the price because we have more hosting fees as more people download and things like that. So we did that. And then we unpublished, I think is what they call it on Patreon, the one and $2 tiers. We still have people to this day at the one and $2 tiers, even though we got rid of them like five years ago. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's just people that signed up and, but people have slowly moved up in tiers and then there's a little bit of churn. So those are slowly disappearing. But yeah, I would say doing higher tiers right away and then also treating it like it's a product that's worth paying for. If you start by saying, okay, we're going to make these tiers and once enough people are paying for it that it's worth it to me, I'll start creating good content there. That's the completely wrong way to do it because no one's ever going to sign up because there isn't any content worth paying for. You have to, even with zero patrons, create some good content for free, assuming and hoping that people will pay for it eventually. And then it works better that way because, you know, you have something to sell. Yeah. And with podcasts, it's not too difficult to have extra content. Like when we do interviews, we do extended versions of the interviews for our patrons or occasionally we'll drop bonus episodes. Yep. Yeah, and that was an interesting thing, too, because I took the extended interview thing from a different podcast I listened to. They use that strategy, and I never listened to the extended interviews because I figure I want the edited version that you know only pulls out the best pieces. So right. I didn't know if our patrons actually enjoyed it. So again, in a survey, we said, what's your favorite reward you get as being a patron? And by far the number one thing was the extended interviews. And I was like, oh, I guess we'll have to keep making these because people actually really like them. What do you know? And, that, and is that just the unedited cut of the of the show that you recorded? It's still heavily edited, but it is just not edited for content. It's edited for taking out all the ums and the silences and all that kind of stuff. So usually we'll record an interview. It'll be about 50 minutes, I would say, unedited. The unabridged one is what I usually call it is more like 40 minutes. And then the one that ends up in the episode, I shoot for 20 minutes. So I cut out about half of the content that's usually less dinosaur related, or it's a question. And the answer is basically, I don't know, or, you know, you could talk to this person about it, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's the challenge with Patreon. If you have it set up where, okay, we're going to create this extra content. It's like, that's cool. You're getting paid for it now. But it's it's extra work. <laughs> so there's like a trade-off there. Um, and it's almost like you have to have a critical mass because if we have five people paying you, it's like, well, was it really worth to you know create a fully separate version of this episode and send it out to them? Now, mechanically, is that like a... Can you have a private podcast feed that just like, you know, they can still get it on their devices, all that stuff? 
Yeah, so that's another thing that we like about Patreon. And Patreon is kind of expensive compared to, say, just having like a PayPal subscription thing because they take a, a cut for using the platform. I think it's like 8% now or something like that. Yeah. But we actually see it as completely worth it because, well, for one thing, a lot of other platforms charge 30%. But <laughs> in addition to that, they do they host all this stuff and they create custom private RSS feeds for every single patron. So we have one tier that gives everybody this premium content in terms of extended interviews and bonus episodes. But we have a different tier, a higher tier that includes both of those things as well as ad-free episodes. And for those patrons, they get an RSS feed that includes everything together. And for the patrons at lower tiers, they don't get everything. And if they change their level, it automatically changes what's in their RSS feed. So that feature alone to me is worth that 8% cut. They're hosting all this audio and they're distributing it and they're dealing with all the technical challenges that come with it. They also keep adding integrations. So Mm -hmm. if you wanted to branch out into other services or platforms, it's pretty easy. Yep. So it sounds like um, right now you've got to mention some of the benefits that people get from joining, you know, say this exclusive content, the extended cuts, the ad free episodes, the discord access, the, you know, request a dinosaur of the day thing, anything else on the benefit side, or um, now I got to go down and look at the the $100 uh, <laughs> level, like what, what do people get like on the big, the big ticket items? In the early days, we were doing more physical stuff. So we were mailing out a postcard once a year when we went to this big dinosaur conference. And we would we would print out custom postcards. And there was this really cool service where they would mail them all out. You just sent them like a spreadsheet of all the email or all the physical addresses. addresses and they would mail them out to everybody, which was great because it was super easy. But they folded and then it became like we had to order the postcards and put stamps on them ourselves and do all this. And we're like, oh, this is a lot of work. And Sabrina was like, we got to stop doing these physical rewards. They're too time consuming. (laughs) They're too difficult. And in general, it's people like them, but they don't like them as much as the amount of effort that it is for us. And it's more expensive in general, too. So we basically switched over to all of the levels only have digital rewards, except for our $100 level, which if you subscribe there, Sabrina draws a piece of dinosaur art every year. Well, we say exclusive gift because it might change depending on what we find. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yes. We, in the early days, I was like, oh, maybe we could like 3D print something awesome and mail that to everybody because I have a 3D printer, but it's not a very good 3D printer. So I haven't made anything wonderful yet. <laughs> well, we did make coasters one year. Oh, yeah. So one year for the $20 patrons, we sent them coasters that we designed, that we yeah. designed and 3D printed, which was kind of fun. That is cool. And it makes it feel like a community. Oh, like I got, you know, I'm on the, the really the inner circle here, you know, if I'm getting these uh, exclusive gifts. Yeah. Yeah. So that we did that at the $20 level. Now we give people all our books, but they're the digital version. So it's an automated thing. We don't have to like physically mail any books or anything. But when we release new books, sometimes we'll just, even though it doesn't say it in the perks, sometimes we'll just like mail out signed books to all the $20 patrons. Just be like, surprise. <laughs> just felt like giving you this thing and yeah so at the hundred dollar level we that's the only one where technically we promise to give something physical every year although sometimes we just do random stuff so so far it's been art yes a print yeah we do it this metal prints which are nice because they're like burst basically indestructible so when you ship them you don't have to worry about them getting damaged and they also look really nice you know this is helpful to get a sense of like Okay, you know, what extra stuff could you offer to get somebody to pay you for 
what otherwise would be free content. Do you have a sense of, or if you're comfortable sharing like the, you know, pie chart breakdown of people at different levels? I imagine there's an 80, 20 to, well, you know, a certain percentage of the pie is at the $20 level versus eight or $10 level. I recently got an MBA. So <laughs> I learned more about pricing after we set all these prices. And I was like, oh, we did these prices all completely wrong. But usually people just pick the middle one. If like, if you give three options, they'll pick the middle one, which is partly why we wanted to get rid of the one and $2 and make it just $4 because then the middle one gets shifted higher. But so yeah, mostly people pick the middle one because by on Patreon by default, it only shows the lowest three tiers. So on ours, it shows a four, eight and $10 tier. So most people pick the $8 tier, but a fair number of people do pick the $10 one because that's the one that has ad-free episodes. And I don't know, for me, that's the one I always pick when I'm patronizing a podcast. Patronizing. Yeah, <laughs> that's the word for it. <laughs> when you when I'm paying for something, I don't want to have ads in it. So I'll pay for the one that becomes the ad-free one. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. And then adding the higher tier ones as this is like the 80-20 sales and marketing. Well, a certain percentage of the audience is going to want the you know the Cadillac version of mm-hmm. of this thing, so we might as well put it out there, and uh, and let them do that. We also have a really small percentage of our listeners who occasionally just want to give us money and don't want anything. Like they just I don't know got an inheritance or just feel like hey you know we want to give you a present. Yeah, and so we have a Stripe integration on inodino.com. So so sometimes people will do yeah, that one time. Yeah. Donation. And we had a patron recently who said, I want to give you more than this tier. But when I sign up, when I, you can do custom tiers on or custom amounts. Yeah. Yeah. But when you do a custom amount, you don't get access to like the, any of the perks because they're all tied to the tiers. It's really weird. So we had a patron at the $20 level and they said, I want to give you $30. So they did a custom tier for $30 and they lost access to all the $20 stuff. Because that's just how it works. So we said, and they were like, you got to make me a $30 tier. So we said, well, if you do a $20 tier, you can give us another $10 through our website and schedule that for monthly using their the Stripe integration. So they did that, which was really nice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's good. You want to have as many ways for people to give money to you as possible because some people don't like Patreon. Some people don't like PayPal. Some people don't like Stripe. You just, whatever they're willing to do, just make it easy for them. Yeah, exactly. I I just don't want to have another monthly subscription, but I do, uh, you know, I want to support your work. So, okay, for those people, they can go over to the site and make these, you know, one-off donations. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we mentioned the Patreon side of things, the one-off donations, the book sales, the sponsorships. I want to touch on the sponsorship side of things. So who's, you know, how'd you go about landing sponsors for the show or maybe how long before that became a thing or a significant revenue stream for you? Our first sponsor was about a year, maybe less than a year into it. And it's because we had some vacation time coming up and we decided to take a dinosaur road trip where we drove. uh, Where did we go? We went all the way up because we're in California. We drove up the West Coast and then over into British Columbia, Canada, and then up into northern Alberta, Canada, where a new museum had just opened. This new museum, it's a really cool museum. The Phil Curry Museum had opened, but... It's in a it's in a small town, so people would see our U.S. license plate and assume we were just on our way to Alaska. Yeah. 
<laughs> it happens to be on this road you're, that goes you're diagonally. You're very lost. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're very lost if you're going through Alberta. <laughs> There's a road called like the Alaska Highway or something that goes, I can't remember where it hits in the U.S., maybe like Minnesota, and then it goes basically diagonally through Canada to Alaska. And this happened to be on that, but that was the only time we were on that road when we got there and then just turned around. <laughs> so we went up there and then we went down to Montana and we ended up visiting four museums and going on a dinosaur dig. Mm-hmm. And we got a bunch of interviews along the way, people who worked at these museums. And before we left, we got some very good advice from a friend who said, well, you know, museums sometimes have budgets for marketing. Why don't you ask them while you're coordinating these things, see if they want to sponsor a show, which was like a light bulb moment because we hadn't considered it at all. Yeah. So we we did once we got we, once we had established some rapport and um, interviewed everybody. Then we go back to the it was usually the marketing person that we were talking to to coordinate these interviews anyway, and and we got some cool like behind the scenes tours. And uh, one of them, I think it was one, mm-hmm. a couple of them were interested. One said yes right away. Yeah, and that was I think only one of them went through, but that was when we learned. In order to get a sponsor, it really helps to have the FaceTime with the people. It's hard to do just via email, and it's it works okay on phone or on a video call, but if you're physically in a place with them, this is clearly why salespeople are always on planes flying places, because <laughs> it just works so much better when you're sitting there in front of the person physically. So yeah, that was really cool because that paid for at least our gas for the trip and maybe a hotel room worth or two. So that was really cool. But we did realize that the amount of budget is a tricky thing. Like podcasting and paleontology, and I guess with paleontology in general, aren't like huge money-making ventures. You know, there isn't a ton of sponsorship availability for our type of show because it's just like usually these places that we would like to have as sponsors the most are nonprofits and nonprofits have really strict rules about the percentage of money they can spend on advertising and all that kind of stuff. So it's tricky in that way. But then on top of that, the places that aren't dinosaur related, a lot of times tend to think of dinosaurs as a kid thing. And most of our listeners are adults and we tell people that, but still when we're dealing with ad agencies, sometimes the person who's putting us in front of an advertiser says like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't know. They're like a kid show. And we know that because we'll talk to them later and they'll be like, yeah, we're we're trying, but we don't have a lot of kid brands. And we're like, we're not a kid show. <laughs> Stop calling us a kid brand. <laughs> so, yeah, it can be tricky. It's not the easiest thing to marketing. It's, it's not like you have a podcast about marketing or sales or something that really naturally fits with right. sponsors. Well, we have branched out to science in general. Mm-hmm. And there's certain things that fit really well. And then also in the more general categories, the bigger we get, the more relevant that is. To yes. So that's sort of our strategy now is growing enough that we can just, you know, you get like just some huge like Coca-Cola or whatever, just somebody that doesn't want to advertise on a tiny show, but they don't really, they're not too particular about what the podcast is. They just want ears on their product. Yeah. Some new exposure there. It's, it is tricky because, you know, the, Side hustle show lends itself well to small business products and software. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is like, well, we don't really know anything about these people other than they're interested in dinosaurs. So it could be something super broad like stamps.com or something, but that's a difficult sense. Do you have a sense of the um, size of the show download wise at the time of scoring this first sponsorship deal? What hmm. was it? I think it was under a thousand downloads an episode, I would guess. 
I can't remember. It was somewhere in that ballpark. Do you remember what you sold it for? Ooh. I don't remember. I think it was under $1,000. It, it wasn't huge, but it was really big for us at the time. We were like, this is amazing. Yeah. Definitely hundreds of dollars, which we were like, oh, man. Because like I said, it, it covered most of the expenses of our trip. And that was just like the coolest thing. Totally. No, I'm, yeah. Anytime you're getting paid to go do something that you love, then that's, uh, that's awesome. What's the sponsorship piece of the revenue pie today? Is it, you know, have you been able to through these different ad agencies to fill inventory? Just curious what that looks like. What, you know, what listeners, you know, who have a podcast and maybe they're not seven years deep into it yet. They're like, okay, if I could just get to, you know, Garrett and Sabrina level, then that'd be good. Yeah, it it fluctuates very wildly. One of the nicest things about having the Patreon is it's a consistent amount of money. So you know, you're going to get at least that amount. So sometimes, I mean, what I keep what I often say to Sabrina is Patreon should be like a quarter of our revenue, the other four fifths should be from merchandise and sponsorship and three, things like that. The other three quarters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I added an extra fifth in there somehow. So yeah um but in general we have had months where patreon was about a quarter and the sponsorships were about three times as much but right now patreon is a bigger piece of it because we're about to go on paternity and maternity leave so we're doing all this extra work pre-recording episodes so we don't have a ton of time for recording sales and trying to find advertisers so that part is slumping a little bit but we do i don't know what it is i'd say on average on an average month it's probably 50 50 about as much on patreon as it is on advertising yeah which is i don't mind it (laughs) i kind of like it that way and we use just for people who maybe if you're just starting out or you feel like you're on the smaller side there's a platform called podcorn that has worked out pretty well for us where you can go on there and you they've got a bunch of uh, advertisers on there who are interested in advertising on podcasts and you can see what they're all about, see if they might be a good fit for your show. And then you can reach out directly to them and pitch to them uh, and you give them your rates and what they might expect and then see if they get back to you. And sometimes they don't because they've got so many people pitching to them, but sometimes they do and it works out nicely. Yeah. Yeah, usually they don't, I would say, just to manage expectations. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, maybe one in 10 or something works out. But they're already like, they know what podcasting mm-hmm. is. They want to be in the podcasting space. And that's already a huge hurdle. You don't have to worry about. Yeah, they have a budget. One of the b- tricky things that we've run into is we know the types of shows or the types of products that would be a good fit for our audience. And so we'll reach out to them knowing that it's like, just give us a little bit of money and we can get you a bunch of customers. But if they don't have a budget for advertising or they just don't trust podcast advertising or don't aren't familiar with it, sometimes they just won't do it. Even if you offer them the best deal in the world and promise them a full refund or whatever, it doesn't matter. They're just not comfortable with it. Whereas on Podcorn, it's all people that are like, yes, I want to do podcast advertising. I have this much money to spend. I'm looking for this time slot. It's a much hotter lead that way. No, that makes sense. And congratulations, side note, on you know the new the upcoming new addition to the family. I think that's really oh, exciting. Just kind of glossed <laughs> over that. But uh, Podcorn, um, Gumball.fm is another you know, like uh, podcast ad marketplace, AdvertiseCast, which I think is owned by Lipson now, another source that has helped me source some sponsorship deals. 
but you're, you're totally right. Like trying to find, even if you have you know, this dream brand that you want to work with, I found it's really tough to go and find the decision maker, even if you've heard them on other podcasts, like, mm-hmm. well, who's, who's their media buyer or they're doing it through an agency? Well, what agency? It's like, uh, you know, trying to, you know, go where the cash is already flowing to a certain extent, like on these different networks or on these different marketplaces to try and get in front of some brands that way. We also recently switched our strategy a little bit in that we got, what do they call those? Were programmatic they, ads? Yeah, programmatic ads. So on our, we're hosted on Art19 and they offer programmatic ads. I think Libsyn does as well, maybe some of the other places, where basically if you mark spots in your show where you want to insert an ad, because we do dynamic ad insertion, we don't bake in our ads, then if there is a company out there that just wants to advertise on shows, you can get a lower CPM, but they'll fill in most of your ad slots mm-hmm. and then you get money from them, which is nice because now rather than paying Art19 for hosting, they pay us some for putting ads in our show. Yeah. And you can prioritize or deprioritize. So if you've connected with an advertiser directly, you can make sure that they get the number one spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, that is kind of cool. I haven't played around with that uh, yet, but maybe worth a look to, if nothing else, like monetize the back catalog of, you know, hundreds of episodes before there were any sponsors. So that may be, uh, may be worth a look. One of the toughest parts about starting and growing your business is figuring out how to build relationships. As you know, people are more likely to buy from and do business with people they know, like, and trust. But when it comes to networking, where do you start? And what if you're more introverted like me? What if you're more wallflower than social butterfly? Well, there's a recent episode of a great podcast called This is Small Business that walks you through how to figure this stuff out. The episode is called How Networking Can Help You Build and Grow Your Business. And inside, you'll learn practical tips on how to build business relationships that don't feel so transactional. A couple parts I liked in particular were how to break into those uh, tight little circles at networking events where you're kind of standing around awkwardly on the outside, and then what you should say in a follow-up email to somebody that you meet there. This is Small Business answers a ton of these questions that all entrepreneurs have, like how to use social media to grow your business, how to find your ideal price point, how to know when you're ready to launch your product, and tons more. So give it a follow. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. That means whether you're just starting out or your side hustle is already growing like crazy, Squarespace takes all things website-related and makes them easy. I want to highlight a few Squarespace features for you. One I knew about and a couple I didn't. First off, where Squarespace really shines is this huge library of professional website templates. That means you're not starting from scratch because they've got designs for every category and use case that you can customize to fit your unique needs so your business stands out online. That was the thing I knew about. Second one was new to me, and that's their online store functionality. Whether you're selling physical or digital products or a service, Squarespace has got the tools you need to start selling online. And third is their email campaigns. They make it easy to collect email subscribers from your site and drive engagement and sales through Squarespace email campaigns, and you can track the results of every send with built-in analytics. So head on over to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash side hustle to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash side hustle. Sabrina, you mentioned um, 
merchandise sales too, and and the book sales. I'm curious how that plays into the whole picture. I mean, if there's a theme here, you know, we're, we're casting a wide net in terms of we're putting out this content. We're casting a wide net in terms of monetization. So we're gonna we're gonna try and support this business every way we can. But this is merchandise of your own creation. This is you know reselling other people's stuff. Let's talk about that for a minute. It's a mix, and it's partly because I enjoy learning new skill sets. And so when I hear, and I hear about something, I'm like, oh, we should try this. And yeah. Let's see what works. I and, always say Sabrina's the new business development part <laughs> of our business. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we ended up with the books. I have a background in book publishing, and so I knew how to, how to get it published and everything. For the other kinds of merchandise, we work with a, a platform that they offer... Like once a quarter, they'll design something for us. We have the exclusive art once a year, but I would not say we're artists. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So (laughs) it takes a long time to get that out. And so, yeah, they've designed a few uh, dinosaur shirts and, and mugs and all that stuff for us. But then last year, we decided to do something to involve our community a little bit more. And we had a t shirt design competition. So we let everyone know through the podcast, through the email, social media, like every way we could that we we're having this. And partly because we noticed in our Discord, we have a lot of really talented artists, yeah. like paleo artists. Yeah, we made an art channel at the patron request. And we found out that a lot of our patrons are, we call them paleo artists. That's what they're known as in the biz. But okay, okay. <laughs> basically, they try to draw realistic dinosaur art yeah and they're incredibly talented people were sharing this and like this this is amazing like so we got a lot of patrons who submitted art to this competition that we ran for about a month and then we let everybody vote on which designs they wanted i think we had 22 designs at the end yes way more than we expected we were like we got to get at least three yeah (laughs) please three people submit designs because you never know right right and it's which is pretty amazing because you think about it, it takes a lot of time to put this art together. And in a lot of cases, it was very realistic looking. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how many hours it took you to make this, but it was amazing. And then we just opened it up to voting. We got a lot of votes, like a thousand votes or some way more than we were expecting as mm-hmm. well, too. Wow. And we took the ones that made the top the five. Like five most yeah. votes. We said, OK, we're going to add you to our store and we're going to send you a package of your merchandise. Yeah, so we sent all of them a shirt. And I think the person who won first place got some extra stuff as well. Yeah. And then the nice thing about the platform we're using is it's all print-on-demand, so we don't have to keep any inventory or deal with that or anything. Right. And And because it was a competition, if you submitted art, you had to sign up for your own account as an artist. And then this way, whenever we sell something with their design, they get a commission as well. Yeah, yeah, because the platform works by... The people's store who it's in gets a part of the sale and the people who designed it get a part of the sale. So that way, share it that way. And it's mm-hmm. nice and equitable. Oh, cool. This is through T Public. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I clicked the merch tab on inodino.com and I can see what <laughs> you're talking about. Some of these are, are pretty good looking drawings. It's like, oh man, I don't know if I could come up with anything like that. <laughs> yeah, there. I don't think we drew any of them. No, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> some of them were made by T Public artists. Some of them were made by. I think most of them were made by our fans. That's really cool. So all print on demand. So somebody goes through. You know, you shout out the merch on air, or somebody finds your site and they go to over here. Then T Public handles the 
printing fulfillment side of things and you guys collect your, uh, you know, a little bit of royalty and then a little bit of royalty gets passed on to the artist there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that it doesn't make us a ton of money, but it's it's just like another nice side thing to do. Well, the competition too was just a really great way to further connect with the community yeah. in a completely different way. Yeah, and people really like it too. So it's just it's nice to come up with stuff that people will enjoy. So we've done in the beginning of the pandemic, we were doing watch parties too because everyone was stuck at home. So we're like, okay, well, we could watch dinosaur movies on Saturdays and we'll just chat about it on the Discord server. We'll just watch on our own devices and just like discuss it. So, you know, we're watching Jurassic Park, like, oh no, I know what's coming up. Or like, oh, that raptor has like the wrong type of arm or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) We're just like critiquing, correcting the uh, Hollywood. Okay. Uh, And then the uh, the book sales, there's a handful of books that you guys have created. Talk to me about that side of the business. Yeah, that one started early on, right? We figured out in the first year, there are so many new discoveries and we wanted to highlight them. And sometimes it takes a long time for the new dinosaurs to reach it into the literature. So we decided, okay, well, what if we made some short stories on like the biggest dinosaur discoveries for each year? And then uh, that expanded to what we don't want to leave out any of the dinosaur discoveries from the year (laughs) so we kind of added on in later years like just some fun facts about each dinosaur that was discovered and we made sure to cover each of them on our podcast too so then it links back it's like well do you want to hear more about when we talked about this dinosaur discovery and even more details about them this is the episode you can go to to hear more about it yeah so hopefully we don't know if it works well, I guess we know a little bit because in the survey, we asked people how they found out about our book or our episode. And sometimes people say they found out through the book, but that's not most of them. <laughs> it's not much of a funnel to the podcast, but it does, I think, catch a few people yep. to become new listeners. And then we had another book. This ended up being a creative journal is the Keep Your Dinosaurs Here one. And that one, I can't remember what exactly inspired it. I think uh, I was getting into journaling or something like that, but it's it's helpful to have prompts. And so I thought, oh, it'd be fun to have these dinosaur theme prompts. And then you can also, within the book, have some throw in some dinosaur facts that people can have. And that one worked out really well. We ended up uh, having a few listeners who are teachers who ended up buying like enough for their whole classroom mm-hmm. <laughs> a few times. So, yeah. <laughs> so if you can tell, Sabrina's very passionate about books. <laughs> She's been in, like she said, she has a degree in publishing and just is loves books. So I think that's, that's another piece of how we do things for our show is it's our business. So we can do the stuff we want to do and not do the stuff we don't want to do. And since Sabrina likes making books, we're yeah. just going to keep making books. It doesn't really matter <laughs> if they make a ton of money or not because they make Sabrina happy and on top of that, it they do make some money, you know, and the, we do the ones that are dinosaurs from the year that are like the top 10 dinosaurs of 2015 or whatever. We can repurpose a lot of that. And we also like repurposing things when we can. So we don't have to do a ton of research for the book because we already did it for the podcast. Mm-hmm. We can right. just sort of reuse it that way. Are these primarily sold through Amazon or are these print on demand somewhere else? Oh, Everywhere. It's the kind of the same strategy. <laughs> yeah, through Amazon, anywhere you can buy an ebook. And then Amazon also does print on demand. And there's a few other services that do print on demand. So uh, our books, I think, are even in some libraries through these distribution systems. Oh, cool. So if I hit the buy now through the website, okay, I guess available. Oh, it's a little bit. Available on Patreon. Yeah. Okay. 
that oh that is old that's something that needs to be updated (laughs) 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 but it is available on amazon all right that's fair that's where most of them sell i mean amazon took over the book game a long time ago so yeah mostly amazon okay anything we missed on the revenue side here i mean on our website alone the website is a little bit of profit generating because there's display ads yeah there's the ads so you get the google ads from that and then you also get we get google ad money from youtube because we also speaking of repurposing every time we create an episode we make a static image video version of it so it's just there because you have to have an image or you have to have a video on youtube you can't upload just audio so Technically, they're videos, but if you would never want to watch it because it's just a single image the whole time. But people do listen to it there, and it's just because some people don't have a podcast app available on whatever device they're using or for whatever reason, they just prefer to use YouTube. So we have some people that listen to our podcast as YouTube videos. So we do that every week. And because of that, we have a decent following on YouTube, and then we make some money on the ads from YouTube too. Yeah, I mean, it's another search engine. This is a very controversial practice amongst YouTubers. Like, oh, you're you're disrespecting the platform by putting just a static image with audio. It's like, I, you never know where your next big fan is going to come from. Like, it's another place to be discovered. You know, if, I don't know, it, are people any more likely to sit there and watch two talking heads for an hour? Like, that's not, <laughs> that's not the most entertaining video either. So it's like, well, you know, if it's running in a background tab, I'm all for it. So YouTube ad money, display ads on the site, you know, now we're up to half a dozen or more different income streams from creating this content. So I think that's, um, that's pretty exciting stuff. We do also make YouTube specific videos. And that is, like you said, that's a comment we get a lot. Like, could you put some images when you're talking about this? Can you show what dinosaur you're talking right. about? Can you put this? And usually we can't because it's copywritten and we don't want to you know, void copyrights by putting up images we don't have the rights to use, even though, I mean, some people claim fair use and do it anyway, but we don't want to do that. And so we do other videos, though. Sometimes we'll review like a dinosaur game Mm -hmm. or we'll show off. We've done some live streams. Yeah. I got this really weird thing called a dino pet as a gift one time, which are these, there are these little creatures that live in the Caribbean called dino flagellates. And they are predatory microorganisms that also do bioluminescence. They glow blue, which is really interesting. And somebody made a little clear plastic dinosaur-shaped empty aquarium, I guess you'd call it. And you fill it with water, like salt water and these dinoflagellates and put in some food. And then you close it. And then at night, if you shake it a little bit, all of them light up. So I did a review on that. (laughs) This is the dino pet unboxing and set up. I'm on on the YouTube channel now. 8,000 subscribers over here on YouTube and 11,000 views for this bioluminescent uh, (laughs) container thing. Yeah, people liked that one. It wasn't, I just, we got it as a gift and I was like, I guess we'll make a video of it because I don't know what else we'll do with it. And I think that company ended up going bankrupt or just stopped selling it. So you couldn't get food for the little things anymore. So they're all dead. But they were cool while they lasted. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> it's a little bit of a downer sorry it is a downer. <laughs> they, they had a good run there's they're youtube famous for a for a brief moment there oh yeah there you go <laughs> what's driving new listenership today you know obviously you have your audience of engaged fans who've been with you for probably several years at this point you guys do anything proactive to market the show these days we do cross promotions we can um, reaching out to different podcasts who 
I think have a good overlap, or at least they cover topics similar enough to ours that I think their audience would enjoy our show and vice versa. Yeah. Do you do that as like an episode swap? Like here, we're going to air something of yours or just kind of like a shout out at the top of the show? We'll do it in a lot of different ways, depending on what the other people want to do and how close they fit with our audience. So if they're a really close fit, we had one that was somebody that looked into mysteries and they did one that was basically this mystery about a dinosaur, sort of like Loch Ness Monster, but like a dinosaur in the wilds of Africa. And they made an episode on that. So we released that. We did a, a feed drop of that. And okay. I think they must have feed dropped a piece of one of our episodes as well. So if it's really close, we'll do a feed drop. But we're really, we don't like doing feed drops unless it's very dinosaur related. Otherwise, we'll do either a post-roll ad or what else do we do? Interviews sometimes. Oh, yeah. We take turns being on each other's show. Okay. And then make sure to time it so that they both come out around the same time. Yeah. Those can be fun. There's interesting ways to collaborate with interviews. Like we met somebody at a podcast meetup who does a horror podcast. And we were talking about how Jurassic Park isn't really a science show or movie. It's more of a horror movie, especially the first one. So we went on his show talking about, you know, the dinosaurs in it and from a more scientific aspect. And then he came on our show and we talked about the horror aspect of it and how they use dinosaurs in a clever way to like really ramp up the terror of the movie. So yeah, there's always ways if you're willing to put in the effort, you can always find some way to, to cross promote. Mm -hmm. Was this at the Oakland podcasters meetup? Yes. Yeah. I met met this guy. (laughs) I forget his name, but I totally remember this guy as I used to go out there because Mike who hosts them, he's a good friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mike is great. Do you pay attention on those cross promotions? Like, well, you know, they're getting 10,000 downloads an episode, but we're getting 20. So like, it's not a fair, you know, it's not a fair swap or anything like that. We usually don't. We've had people reach out to us that were very new and we've done cross promotions with them, but we try not to do them with shows that are brand new, like less than three months old, just because they often don't really have the experience to know how to do the cross promotion. and. So it's just, it's a lot of work. And yeah, so we try to do them with more established shows, but we don't care too much about how many downloads they have if they're reaching out to us. So that's sort of how we see it is like, if you're going to go through the effort of finding out who we are and sending us a nice email, finding out a way to collaborate with us, suggesting a thing, we'll go for it most of the time, as long as it fits pretty well with our audience. Mm -hmm. But if we're reaching out to people, we do pay attention to that. So we don't reach out to, we'll do a little bit of research to make sure that we're not reaching out to a show that has just like a couple of listeners, because we know we're going to be putting a lot of effort into it. But we also want to make sure we offer value to them too. So Mm -hmm. we want to research and be like, okay, we're pretty sure we're a good audience fit. Here's what we can do for you. Mm -hmm. We try to find somebody that's like roughly close in size when we're reaching out to them, because we know, you know, if somebody's getting tens of millions of downloads or millions of downloads, they're probably not going to be interested. And even if they were, we just wouldn't be able to reciprocate that many listeners. So it's nice, though, because it scales pretty well. You know, as you get bigger through doing these cross promotions, you can keep finding bigger and bigger shows to cross promote with. Yeah, I like that strategy. And I probably need to do more of it myself outside of just podcast guesting. haven't done a ton of that. You know, we're playing around with a few kind of episode swaps for content that I think is interesting. It's like, I don't know if it totally makes sense, but it's like, well, you know, this is in some cases like, well, I would interview this person anyway. So, you know, here's somebody else doing it. So it's a cool story. Enjoy and promote other shows in that way and hopefully 
there's some level of reciprocation on the other end. But if not, that's not the end of the world. I'm curious for you guys, you're, you know, you're in the Bay Area. It's not a cheap place to live. At what point were you comfortable saying, you know, we're going to be full-time dinosaur podcasters? For Garrett, that was a few years ago. And I kept my full-time job until about a year ago. Yeah, I would say we're still not fully comfortable. I mean, usually... <laughs> Are you ever? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you never really... So I my stress is directly related to how many sponsors we have queued up. <laughs> because if we have no sponsors and we have Patreon, our bank account is going very red. But if we have Patreon and sponsors, we're usually doing okay. So... It's stressful. There are times when, you know, you know, you question things a little bit, <laughs> but we steer each other back, <laughs> focus on the mission. It did take a while to get to a point where we felt comfortable, both of us working on it. Yes. Time. So yeah. that basically took six years, I would say, because Sabrina just quit last year and we started working on it, both of us full time. And yeah, we're happy with the decision. It's not like we have regrets about it and it it's good, but it is still stressful. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. it it's, there's always this doubt of, yeah, I cut my own paycheck last month, but can I do it again next month? And the Patreon <laughs> is a huge help because it's recurring. It's, at least it's it's predictable in that sense. So it's like, okay, well, at least some of this some of this income, at least some of our expenses are spoken for in the form of this mm -hmm. income. And now we got to go out and find the rest. And so I'm, I don't know, I'm excited for you guys and really appreciate you sharing that it was several years in the making and not just, oh yeah, we started this show on this really niche topic. And within six months, you know, it was smooth sailing. <laughs> like, okay, no, it's a little bit of a longer journey. So I know dino.com, check them out over there. What's next for you guys? Where do you want to take this thing going forward? Our last our latest listener interview, we got some really good feedback about revisiting some of the more beginner topics and more evergreen kind of content because we're at a point now where in the beginning we were learning a lot. And so it was easy. You know, we come across a new term or a new idea and we research it and explain it on the show. But now we're 380 something episodes in and it's really easy to forget the stuff that we used to not know. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of our upcoming episodes are going to be around these more evergreen topics that are a little bit broader, you know, like what makes a dinosaur kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm pretty excited about that because I'm just excited to see what people think about it mm -hmm. and if it's going to be helpful. And especially now that we know better how to title our episodes and things <laughs> like that, it'll be easier to find in the future. <laughs> yeah. Because there's a lot of common questions that people ask and usually they ask them and we, you know, might have answered it four years ago. And to us, we don't remember how long ago it was. So we're like, we just talked about this. You know, how often do we need to revisit these topics? But yeah, in our survey, people said we want to hear more of these basic science sort of background intro to dinosaurs sort of topics. But there are enough new listeners and old listeners that just enjoy hearing that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then last year, too, we since we got to a point where we were both working on this full time, we felt like well, there's, there's got to be a way we can share what we've learned, maybe help some people get to our point in less than seven years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yes, we shortcut the learning curve. <laughs> you know, maybe at least by a couple years. Yeah. <laughs> so we started a podcasting course, a complete podcasting course dot com. And that goes over 
you know, everything that we've learned and best practices and equipment and things like that. Completepodcastingcourse.com. That's the home base for that. Yep. Very cool. Any plans to spin off the, uh, now that you got the baby on the way, like now the dinosaur, the I know dino kids edition, you know, for <laughs> the younger audience. So there are podcasts, one of the podcasts I was listening to for a long time did a kid's version of their show and they almost immediately gave up on it because I guess kids don't really listen to podcasts all that much. Well, I think you'd have to change the format significantly. You'd have to be much shorter. Yes. And there is actually a, a dinosaur podcast directed at kids. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I don't really think we'll do it, but maybe you, we will. I know. don't know. Yeah. We'll see what happens with this kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they're really into dinosaurs and they want to be on a show, then maybe we'll do a show with them or something. <laughs> that would be fun. Or a YouTube channel. Like since you guys already, I mean, the content is already there. It's just how do you make it kid friendly? Mm-hmm. I don't know. My, but I know dino.com. Check out the podcast. Check out completepodcastingcourse.com if you want to learn how to do what Garrett and Sabrina did. And like she said, shortcut that learning curve, at least by a couple years there. Um, let's wrap this thing up with your guys' uh, number one tips for Side Hustle Nation. We'll let uh, Sabrina start us off here. Sure. The number one tip I'd say is being consistent. We kind of talked about this. I think you mentioned, you know, sometimes there's pod fade. People realize, well, it can take a lot of efforts for a <laughs> weekly show, daily show, just a regular occurring show. And being able to put it out there consistently, whatever your schedule ends up being, makes a huge difference because then you grow your audience, your listeners learn to trust you and to know that you're going to produce new content. And it just, yeah, that's how you eventually get your patrons and your sponsors and everything as well. Right. Garrett, what about you? I think mine kind of goes hand in hand with Sabrina's, which is you got to pick a topic that you're very passionate about because... If you're going to do a podcast, you're going to be talking about this thing all the time. (laughs) And even more than just talking about it, the amount of research that goes in before you record an episode is not just like, oh, I'm going to release a weekly episode that's an hour long. I could research this for an hour a week. That sounds like that would be fun. No, you're going to spend like 10 hours, 20 hours on the research and the editing and all that. And if it's a topic that you're only mildly interested in, you're definitely going to pot fade. That consistency is going to be way too difficult if it's not something you're really passionate about. So I think the most important thing is starting with your passion and then figuring out what schedule you can be consistent with. Yeah, the combination of those two things. Yeah, you can see because we're not on camera, but here I'm I'm shaking my head if you're like, yeah, I'm going to spend 10 hours producing this episode (laughs) because the the keyword research led me to this niche that I don't care anything about. It's like, no, right, you're you're not going to stick with it. So appreciate you guys sharing that stuff. Really awesome story. I'm excited for you. Again, congrats on the new edition and uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. All right. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Garrett and Sabrina. I took a bunch of notes in this one. A couple things I wanted to highlight were Garrett and Sabrina's on-air survey and the little optional checkbox for listeners to get added to the email list. I thought that was cool. I also liked how Garrett filtered the results of that survey based on who was actually tuning in. I liked how they were able to find creative collaborations with other podcasters to grow their audience. But probably the biggest takeaway for me is how involved and in touch they are with their community of listeners. The survey is part of that, but they've got the community discord, the art competition that they talked about, the Patreon request a dinosaur of the week thing. All of that I thought was really cool and something 
I think we can probably borrow in some form or another for our own businesses. Really about building those personal connections, especially early on in our journeys. And they did an awesome job of sharing ideas on how you might do that. Notes and links to all the resources mentioned are at sidehustlenation.com slash dino. Again, D-I-N-O. And if you are interested in starting a podcast of your own, make sure to download my podcast starter kit. It's got resources on choosing the right software and equipment that doesn't break the budget, my production process, marketing your show, and of course, all the different ways podcasts can make money. Once again, that's at sidehustlenation.com slash dino, D-I-N-O. And of course, be sure to check out Garrett and Sabrina's complete podcasting course.com as well. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're finding value in this or any other episode, the greatest compliment is to share it with a friend. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.